You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and today's episode is with Patrick Willems. I'm going to be entirely honest with you. This episode is a lot more for me than it is for you. Patrick is a director based here in New York, and his work is truly remarkable. He does video essays on YouTube, as well as a variety of short films that are full of personality and wit. What makes his videos stand out is the combination of his skill and pure curiosity. When Patrick loves something, he will let you know while making sure you are also enjoying yourself along the way. I came across his work a few months back and I've been hooked ever since, just constantly devouring his work. On this episode of the podcast, we chat about what it's been like to make YouTube videos, the projects he's directed, and why movies mean so much to him. And yes, we do geek out. Like a lot. Like an absurd amount. This is the 405 Exchange with Patrick Willems. Enjoy. I really love in a recent video that you brought up uh, Don Davis. Um, those yes. Matrix soundtracks are perfect, and I feel like they don't get enough respect in the world. They don't, I, and I, they sound so like radically different from I think like every other film score. It's like from all of the film scores of that time, and especially for like blockbuster film scores. Like, you know, I I, I was talking to a composer friend of mine about those scores, and um, and he was telling me that like they. As temp music on the first movie, they use a lot of like uh, John Adams, uh, you know the the classical composer, and um, and and once and who I, I'm like a little bit familiar with, and uh, and you can if you listen to like some of like John Adams stuff, uh, and then the Don Davis scores, you can definitely see the similarities. But yeah, I, I love the way those sound. They sound so like singular and unique, and I've also heard that. And I've wondered for a long time, like, why doesn't Don Davis do more movie scores? But apparently he's been writing a lot of operas for the past, like, 15 years or so. So he's doing stuff, but just not these. But now I'm so curious if he's coming back for the fourth Matrix. That would be really amazing. I really hope he is. I hope he is, too. And, like, if anyone's, like, listening to this going, like, I don't really remember those scores, I would just, I think, like, the great through line of just, like, pure bombastic joy is that whole uh, highway sequence the songs that's playing during the second Matrix movie. Mona Lisa Overdrive yeah oh there you go that's yeah. the what, what, that he, sounds amazing because he collaborated a lot with Juno Reactor that like electronic group and uh, that's what's interesting to me about the scores for the three movies the first one has a uh, you know it, it, it's like purely orchestral but it has a lot of like weird like atonal sounds there's that sound that like that plays that it's so instantly recognizable it plays over like the warner brothers logo coming on screen yeah and like i couldn't sing it for you right now (laughs) i would not do it justice um but there's that and then the second movie introduces more like electronic uh elements to the score uh uh more like like beats and synthesizers and then the third movie score brings in like choirs for the first time yeah. and it gets sort of like Wagnerian and uh, and you get 
like uh, you know, like like the track. I've listened to these scores a lot. I should. I, should I have to. <laughs> uh, but you get like like like, like Neo Damarung, uh, which is like sort of the big climactic piece. Uh, anyway, this is all, all a long way of saying, um, yeah, the Don Davis <laughs> scores for the Matrix movies really good. <laughs> Well, one of the big reasons why you're here is that I wanted a Duffy excuse to geek out with you on many things, but there is an actual uh, bit of context for me bringing that up, and it's that something that I really love about you and your work, and there'll be an intro to this, but I'm going to describe what you do, is that you do this amazing thing where you're able to look at a body of work in regards to film and look at it through an overall spectrum rather than just a very narrow spectrum of good or bad. And I always find myself feeling at odds at least for the last couple of years in regards to how people generally talk about film where I can understand if people find a film they find themselves liking or disliking a film but I think people forget that films are parts of a whole and that you could dislike how something's directed or written but more likely or not you're gonna find something you can latch onto and find enjoyable and I remember watching a video that you did where you brought that up about the Don Davis score I'm like yeah even if you don't like these Matrix sequels gotta at least enjoy the music or at least something about it where how it's like filmed how the approach to some of the staging or even the acting like there's some i feel like yeah a film is a sum of its parts rather than just one whole piece yeah i i totally agree and for me and i don't like the idea of just even if i don't like a movie i feel like just dismissing it you know outright as being like oh that was trash let's like just forget all of it and uh because it's not even worth uh, discussing because even in a movie that doesn't work, I think there's always something there that is interesting. Uh, whether it's an interesting performance in the movie or like maybe the movie doesn't like doesn't work, but where does it stand um, in the context of like the the director's career or like the writer's career and uh, like why did it end up this way? Why what doesn't work about it? And uh, and like is there any way that it could have worked? Um, like, like there there's so much there that. You know, not that I'm like forcing myself to like like everything and be like all movies are great, but I think pretty much all movies are interesting, and there's there's all, there's so much that goes into a film. There's so many elements that I that I, you know I think there's always something there to like to find that that's interesting to to discuss, and uh, and yeah, and so that's that's just generally like how I, I like I like movies a lot. Uh, I I, they, I just get excited about them, and that's kind of how I, I view them in general. And uh, and yeah, on, on the internet, especially when you know uh, like like strong binary hyperbolic opinions tend to get the most traction. Um, but that's not what I am interested in in sharing, and it's not what I'm interested in reading or watching. Uh, so yeah, this is I'm just. What's nice about these videos that I make is it's an opportunity for me to just basically like put my whole perspective on cinema. It, this sounds so pretentious, but uh, just to like you know to like you know just make these videos that sort of share like you know my thoughts on movies, but also like how I view the medium as a whole. And uh, and it's always a nice surprise that you know people enjoy watching them and are interested in that perspective. Yeah, because it's actually a really funny thing. I honestly can't remember um, how I even found your channel, but it was definitely a matter of like the YouTube algorithm going like, hey, you'll probably like this, and checking out one of your videos. Thanks, and, algorithm. Yeah, right? <laughs> and then finding myself being really um, enthralled. I think the first one I saw was you dissecting... Uh, the Matrix sequels and how to make them work. And then I oh, so that, that's a very recent one. Yeah, that was from back in May. 
Yeah, so I think, I think the first video I saw of yours was around June, July. And then I remember I then saw the last Jedi video, like how your enjoyment of it. And uh, from there, I just kind of went on a rabbit hole. And like we did, like my girlfriend Sarah said, we kind of watched some of your videos. And I think the big thing that uh, I found myself gravitating towards is that it's very much what you're saying. It's like approaching it from a non-binary spectrum of like looking at film for what it is. And I don't want to sound reductionist when I say this, but I feel like I'm, we're so inundated with like negative opinions in regards to art and film. And I almost feel like in the way you'll approach it is that even if you're going to say something negative or say something that might be contentious, there is a, I, I feel like you very much have this great um, attribute to you where it's like, this is my opinion, but my opinion isn't law, which, which is is really <laughs> funny because the people who hate me on the internet, uh, the what they always say about me is that I, I act like my opinion is a fact, and everyone who, do, who doesn't agree is wrong, and the the quote that gets thrown at me all the time. Uh, uh, is in one video I had a line about people wa saying you're watching movies wrong, which is is usually taken out of context, uh, and and was t sort of a joke in that video anyway. But it's funny that you say that, and I th thank you. That that is, uh, that's how that that is uh, like the tone and and perspective that I I try to communicate. But it's just funny that. There are people out there who who believe the entirely opposite thing about me and think that I am like this sort of almost like movie dictator saying like I I am right about everything. There's only one way to look at these things, and if you don't watch things the way I do, you're watching movies wrong. Which uh, I don't think is what I'm saying, but well, I can't I can't control what how people interpret what I say. I know you said it was a joke, and I also know it could be kind of like going into like a potential rabbit hole. But when you found yourself saying something like you're watching movies wrong uh am i weird for interpreting that in the sense that like if you're watching films purely to be critical without the aspect of even trying to enjoy them or trying to actually take them in for the face value of them that there's something wrong in that i mean i think that's not an ideal way like to watch movies the actual context for that line which was in the the Shut Up About Plot Holes video, which is the most aggressive, contentious video I've ever made. I have watched that one as well. Um, yeah, and I went into that one... No, like I, did, I, You don't put Shut Up in caps in the title <laughs> and not know that it's going to piss some people off. Um, but the, the context for saying... I believe the line was, I hate to say you're watching movies wrong, but you're watching movies wrong. That was in regards to, if you watch the movie Die Hard and rejects the premise of it because the villain's plan doesn't make perfect logical sense and there would be a better way, or an easier way for them to accomplish their goal. Uh, I'm saying, like, if you watch that movie and act that way about it, then you are watching movies wrong because that's an insane way <laughs> to, like, to look at a, a story. Um, but yeah, but that's generally it. It's, it's like... No, there, there, you know, there is no really wrong way to... Con to like consume art, but I do think if you are, you know, watching a movie with like a checklist or like trying to find logic holes and having that be your top priority when it comes to like evaluating the quality of the movie, I think that's an unhealthy and unproductive way to watch a movie. And uh, and like sure, 
that, that it's a wrong way to do it, I guess. But uh, but yeah, I just think it's funny that that one line is like 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 pe- it'll come up on on Twitter sometimes. I'll just get tagged and things. Someone might mention me, and then someone will reply like, "Oh wait, is that that asshole who tells people they're watching movies wrong?" And like, <laughs> I guess that's that's my identity now on the internet. <laughs> Uh, and that's part of why YouTube, the YouTube film world is largely a bad place. Yeah, that, and that's the thing that's so funny to me about what we were just discussing uh, earlier prior to that, is that to me what makes you stand out so much within that landscape of making YouTube videos, and I should also point out that's not only what you do, you make actual movies, which is really incredible to me, we're going to get into that as well, but okay. like in the context of um, YouTube, I think what's made you stand out to me and has made me like subscribe and like actually looking forward to watching your videos is knowing that like i'm not going to be told hey this is right or wrong this is just my point of view let me tell you and that's the thing i think is interesting i'm branching off but it's kind of like you're not only sharing your opinion you're also sharing the process in which how you arrive there and right that's actually rare nowadays it's rare for someone to not only have an opinion but actually share the process of how you got there yeah i I guess you're right it's um I, I haven't even really thought about it that much, but that's just, like, what I'm interested in. Uh, I'm, I'm really fascinated by especially, like, how our tastes work when it comes to, like, I mean, like, art in particular, or art and media and stuff like that, where it's, like, everyone... You, you, we'll use movies as an example because that's what I talk about mostly. Oh. But, uh, you know, you take a movie and everyone everyone will have a slightly different reaction to it, even if it's, like, a movie that most where there's, like, a, a consensus on it. Everyone will have, you know, there's be a whole spectrum of reactions yeah. because people respond differently to like small little things, like uh, visual things, like auditory things. Uh, and I'm really interested in just like why we respond to things the way we do. I feel like I should study like psychology and do like, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, studies uh, to explore this kind of thing. But yeah, but that's what I'm interested in, and and just you know, and figuring out like, okay, why did I react to this the way I did? And uh, trying to like, I, I like putting things inside a context. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's the, it's just like, this is all just the stuff that I'm interested in. So I just like put all of it in these videos. And um, I'm, <laughs> I'm really glad that you enjoy them. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so, I mean, putting it plainly, and I mentioned this before, you make movies. That's really cool to me. Um, a big question I want to ask you, kind of branch off going more into about yourself. Um, can you remember the first film you watched that left you with a feeling of, I know I want to do this? Uh, yeah, yes. Um, it's sort of a weird roundabout way. Um, Jeez, that's what we're here for. So, because before I wanted to be a filmmaker, I wanted to be a comic book artist. Uh, this was like when I was a kid. And when I was a kid and then into middle school, and um, I wasn't like a genius like incredible artist but i i could okay mostly i uh, i could draw batman very well as a kid because i did it a lot and so uh so i would i really draw a lot and i was like oh I, I was solid at it for my age um and then and then after i saw the matrix it always comes back to the matrix <laughs> um i uh i, I was I went through this long period of, like, sort of developing ideas for, like, original comic books and stuff like that, and then I started realizing 
that what I kept thinking about was less making these comments and more skipping ahead to like the film adaptations of them. And I had this moment where I was like, wait a second, I really just kind of want to make movies. I'm more, ex- I'm, I'm like these ideas, I just want them to be movies. And it's like the comics are just, I'm looking at them as like a way to get there. And, um, and yeah, it was really through middle school. So it, it kind of began with The Matrix. Um, and that kind of, and me becoming obsessed with that movie when I was like 11 or 12. And, uh, and yeah, and that just kind of beginning this process of becoming like more and more interested in just like, how do I take this medium that I like so much, but then, you know, like do it. That's amazing. Um, I'm just going to share like a little random funny story that I think you'll find amusing in the context of the matrix, but it was actually similar for me of watching it. I'm pretty sure middle school as well. And feeling like obsessed with it just in terms of like, wow, I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, well, as the sequels came out, I remember I had to wait till the second one came out on DVD because I was so young. But I remember being, I want to say either 15 or 16 and begging my mom to take me to see Matrix Revolutions in theaters. I was like, mom, you have to go. I mean, I, you have to, a parent has to bring me in. You know, I, could, I would sneak into it, but I don't want to, like, you know, make you upset, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, fine, whatever. She had never seen any of the Matrix films, had no context for <laughs> oh what they God. were. Oh, my God. She had no idea anything about them. And my mom is, uh, at the time, she was, like, a 50-something-year-old Haitian woman, uh, like, immigrant, essentially. And um, we go to the theater, see Matrix Revolutions. She fell asleep instantly. She wakes up, like, around the time where... Uh, uh, spoilers, uh, Mufuni dies, like around yeah. all that's happening. And she turns to her, she's like, What the hell is this? She's <laughs> <laughs> like, What the fuck? <laughs> like, all this gunfire and these robots, and she's just looking at me, like, kind of like, Oh, what did I do? Shit. He's into this type of stuff. Yeah. Oh, man. Hey, I, I got my parents to take me to the sequels as well, because I was not 17 yet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, like delving a little bit further um, into how you found yourself approaching film, um, you've kind of touched upon this on some recent YouTube videos about going back into your past and sharing how you first approached even making videos and kind of showing that there's like an earnesty in how you even view your younger self. And I wonder how that's been for you lately, being able to like look back on the first films you ever made and realizing that there is actual value in that. Yeah, it, well, what's funny about the early films that I, I made, like, in high school, is that uh, they all they really don't feel like that long ago, because the thing is, my friends that I made them with in high school, I'm not only still friends with pretty much all of them, but we still, like, collaborate. As in, my roommate, who appears in almost all my videos, and is a co-host of my podcast was like one of my main actors in all my movies in high school. So it's, it feels like we're just doing now the same thing we were doing back then. It's just like, uh, it's not like there's a break and it's like, oh, those, there's those old movies I made with those people that I don't really know anymore. It's like, no, it's just been this very continuous process and uh, I'm better at it now, but it's still, you know, I'm still working in a very similar way. Uh, kind of still doing pretty much everything myself, uh, still working with the same people. Um, so we'll still talk about the... Since, since we made all those old movies together in high school, we still have the same reference points, so they come up all the time in conversation. And so it really just feels like this continuous path. 
uh, that I've been sharing with the same people. And so, so yeah, so I still remember those, those old movies, uh, that I made in, in high school, like pretty well. Wow. Yeah. What a rare, like, not just in terms of professional, but even on a personal level, like how rare is that in life? And also for all you to be like either within the same city or within like, you know, the radius of the city as well, like here in New York, like that's a very rare thing where you have those relationships. Like, that's really interesting. I know. I'm, I'm well aware that it's not entirely normal to still remain friends with so many people from high school. Yeah. Um, and somehow I have. And, and even, the, you know, they don't all live in the city. Just like a handful of them do. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes when we're like back home for Christmas or whatever... I'll just, like, get people together and be like, hey, I'm shooting a video. Want to be in a video? Yeah. And it'll be, like, a person that, you know, to, like, a random viewer, it'll just be like, I don't know who that person is in Patrick's latest video. But for me, it's like, oh, great. A, a, a star of a movie that I made, like, 13 years ago is now making their return. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it, and, uh, it's, it's always really fun. And I, I just... I, I like working with people that uh, I'm friends with, and um, I like the, the process of making, you know, these videos and movies and stuff like that to be... I like it to be fun. I like to be almost an extension of hanging out. Uh, I don't want anyone to... You know, I realize they're doing me a favor, like appearing, uh, like lending me their time and appearing in my silly little project. And so I don't, you know, want to make it like a hassle. I don't want to, you know, uh, want to make it a miserable experience. So... Well, everyone seems to have fun doing it. I have fun doing it. Yeah. You know, something that's really stood out to me in regards to your work is that um, for the last few years, I've definitely gotten into the habit of following different people on YouTube and, you know, building up like kind of like a bit of a watch list of like, oh, I'll watch this video later and I'm looking forward to it. But I've started to notice like how that could feel like a very insular um, experience where it's very much like I'm dictating this in regards to myself. What sticks out to me in your videos is when I do that. I'll sometimes go to watch them with a friend or my girlfriend said I was here and it's funny you're bringing, talking about the high school stuff because one of the videos we watched a couple mornings ago that I really enjoyed was um, the high school reunion video. Oh! That you made the high school reunion movie. Yeah. Oh wow, that one, yeah. That looks great. Thank you. That, 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 it's funny because with my, my channel there is this very clear break. Uh, there is like the dividing line between the five and a half years of the channel having a very small audience and making no money, and then starting in November 2016, when it, when I like, I, I was like, maybe I'll try making a video essay for fun, and then it like changed everything, and now that has become like the vast majority of what I do. Um, but yeah, so I, it, it's always nice when someone mentions something made before November 2016, because a lot of people aren't even aware of, like, the five and a half years of the channel before that. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, there is that, that little short film <laughs> about my high school reunion, where I was just honestly very stressed out about, <laughs> about my impending 10-year high school reunion, so I decided to, like, exercise these, like, this anxiety by making a weird short film about this reunion. So the basis of the of what kind of led to you making even a script to go along with that, to make that whole video, it came from an actual feeling that you had, like an actual thought oh, of, like, this is how I feel. Entirely. I got the invitation about my reunion, and I was like, oh, God. Oh, no, it's happening. 
what 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 what's it gonna be like? Like uh, and and me again being a weirdo. Um, I I had started sort of thinking about my high school reunion when I graduated. I remember being like, okay, because like in high, <laughs> in high school I was like the guy who makes movies, and I was like, okay, well, well, uh, you know, ten years, you know, I I, I can't return to my high school reunion like as a failure. I, everyone knows what I want to do, and, I, and uh, <laughs> that, that would suck so much if I. You know, I showed up at my reunion. And I was like, "Oops, guys, oh, I failed. I didn't, I didn't do it." And um, and then and the idea of that, like, like thinking, you know, me, like, you know, eighteen or whatever, I, I was like, when I go to my high school reunion, I have to, I have to win. I have to go back there and be doing better than the people I didn't like in high school, which is a, a like a sociopathic way to. Win. <laughs> but uh, but that's how I I felt about it, and that's literally a line in the little movie where I'm like, I have to win, but um. But yeah, and so that was it. I got the invitation uh, for the the high school reunion, which I did attend. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't a long trip, it, you know. I and, uh, and my friend was organizing it, and she was like, "Please, please come. Uh, like, you're not far, that far away." And so, so yeah, so I just decided to, you know, I guess to like to work out my my anxiety about about the reunion to make a. A, a silly fictional film about me about me taking the process of going to the reunion way too seriously, and um, and then it turns into like this weird spy movie. And spoilers, it ends with me with my face in a pie, and uh, which I'm still I'm still really happy with that ending. Um, that is a great ending, and you know even though that you spoiled it, the Bill. Like, if you listen to this, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it yet, trust me, still watch it because even though he said face in the pie, the context of how it happens is still very satisfying. Uh, yeah, I'm still pretty happy with it. Um, it's it, it's funny, this, like, I I think, I rewatched it, like, two weeks ago. I don't even yeah. know why. I was just, like, one of those, like, 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 a late night, and I was like, I'm gonna look at some of my old stuff and, like, see how I feel about it. And, like, that, that little movie... And of course, it's made for zero dollars, uh, like no budget at all. And um, there's, and again, it, that was back before. Like I think at, at the time on YouTube, I had like eighteen thousand subscribers, so it was just making stuff for fun, not like uh, as a, a career at the time. And um, and there's there's a few things in there, like some like story elements and like <laughs> execution of some things that that bug me. I'm like. The scene, like, it could it could be stronger, but uh, but I'm still pretty happy with how that little thing turned out. It was fun. I'm, anyway, I'm, I'm I'm really glad that you that you watched that one. Yeah, that was really a great one, man. Honestly, and I think that's what's amazing about uh, the way you clearly approach things. Where it's like, um, I think something that happens with uh, the platform of YouTube, and I don't think it's any individual's fault, but it's like to. I think a lot of people find themselves thinking if I'm going to have a career, I have to find myself focusing on like one specific genre, one specific approach to a thing. And I think what's cool about you is that, yeah, you'll do these video essays that are really informative and really showcase different levels of things, but you're still willing to make these personal films. Even though that was a while ago, you do still exercise that quite a bit. I do. Well, that's the thing about, like, uh, I mean, you say that, but... I've almost exclusively made video essays now for like the past couple of years, and uh, it started where I mean it, it was 
like a, a, a total like weird fluke that this happened. Yeah. Uh, basically, the, the slight background for this was... Um, actually, I realize I can, I can go deeper into this. Anyway, okay, I'll, I'll start in 2016. <laughs> yes. um, essentially, the channel was at this point where I was like... I had been trying to make like every video, like some sort of big potential like viral thing, like a very complicated project that would take like three or four weeks to make. And I was kind of, and you know, the audience was very small. And even if there were like hit videos, it had like the actual, the subscribers had like, were like growing like anemically. It was, uh, there were, there were not a lot. And I didn't feel like I had any, any more like really big ideas that like could really like blow the channel up. And so I took a couple months off from it, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to try, just as like, you know, I'll give it like one last shot. Uh, I'll take a, a few months where instead of trying to make every video some sort of like, you know, big ambitious thing that could be a hit, I'm just going to try to be uh, consistent and have a video every Wednesday for like several months. And then it worked out where, well... I knew I couldn't make, like, a short film every week, because back then, like, the channel was, like, entirely narrative stuff. It was, like, yeah. all scripted short film stuff. And um, so I was like, well, I'll try some different types of videos. Uh, and I was like, I have a degree in cinema studies. I could make a video essay. It can't be that hard. Um, so I made one. I was positive no one would watch it. I was so confident. I was like, I'm going to make a video about color grading. No one would care <laughs> about this. Um, I was wrong. Uh, uh, I, I made, I made this video called Why Do Marvel's Movies Look Kind of Ugly? Uh, that is the second most viewed video on the channel now. Uh, it did very well. Uh, people demanded more video essays. I made more of them. And then once I, I started realizing that, like, oh, wait a second, the channel is, like, making money now, but it's the video essays that make money. Those are the videos that, like, sponsors want to be booked on. Yeah. I, and when I got to the point where, like, it was starting... To, I was starting to make a living off of, like, YouTube primarily. I realized that, like, if this is going to be sustainable, I do have to, like, focus on the essays. Because that is what pays the rent. Uh, but then... And, and then the way I figured out to, like, make the process satisfying for myself was to make each essay also sort of, like its own little short film and approach each one in like a unique way and have there be like a narrative uh, to all of them so it's not just like me recording a voiceover over movie clips which there's absolutely nothing wrong with like so many people that I, I, I love do that I just found that like doing for myself using that style for a while it, the process got boring Yeah, and, um, and so I, I managed to like combine the essays and like the short films into like one thing now but yeah, it's like, I, I wish my ideal version of the channel is one that alternates between, like, a video essay and then, like, a purely narrative short. Uh, but because I do have to make a living off of it, uh, it, it is, like, primarily the essays. But it's interesting to hear you talk about it within that tone, because I feel like, and you even acknowledge it, I feel like so far you've been able to balance the two very well, where even if I'm watching a video that's uh, primarily a video essay, there is always this element of narrative and a personal touch. Do you feel like something that's difficult to kind of um, embed that element within a video essay for you? Uh, not really. It, it, I mean, having that, that extra layer to it of like, okay, what is the narrative of this going to be? What, at what way will I approach it? What is the, I guess, like the context for this video? It's not just going to be me as like an omniscient voice 
speaking about like things. It's like what what's the story for this video? Uh, it that adding that layer makes it more difficult. It, it makes the process take longer. It, it's this whole extra layer of complexity and like this extra challenge. But I really get like a for me there's like a thrill there for each one. It's like okay, I have the premise. I know what I want to talk about. But what how am I going to approach this? Like like what's the way to communicate this, uh, and um, what's the story going to be for this? What what unique you know like visual elements can I add to this that will also make sense and like ideally like link thematically to what I'm talking about? Uh, and so yeah, so that's it's a thing where like I know it makes the process harder, but I enjoy the process more because of it, and um, and yeah, it's just I, I find it more satisfying. Like I look back at the video essays I made in like 2017, which were almost all these using the sort of the classic style of like voiceover over movie clips and I feel nothing for those videos. Really? I, uh, yeah, I have no attachment to them. I barely remember anything about them. They feel so anonymous. Um, and like, I don't really care about them. And then I look at the ones that I've made since 2018 and uh, all the ones I've made this year and I like, I just feel better about them. I'm like, I, I, can, I can look, I can scroll through the channel and look at all those videos and be like, oh yes, I, I, I know all of these. I'm like, I'm proud of these. I feel like I put myself into all of them. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm much happier with the work now. Yeah. But, I, but I, I still hope that at some point I can reach, I can reach a point where I can be like, because again, the finances of YouTube, which is a whole weird conversation, um, you know, Primarily, like, uh, my main revenue stream is from the, the sponsors on the videos. And I can only really put sponsors on the video essays. And so my hope is I can reach a point with my schedule where I can just be like, you know what, I'm going to make a video that's going to be like a little, little short film that doesn't, it won't have a sponsor, doesn't matter, but I'll have time to make it. Yeah. And um, it doesn't have to be about, you know, analyzing a movie. It's just going to be a thing that I purely want to make for fun yeah that's something i could very much relate to um some people who are listening might not know anything about me but um i work as a photographer and I'm primarily working with like musicians uh really big ones uh labels and stuff like that and i use that word big ones because it does get to a point where if you want to do it professionally you do have to consider what's going to do well what's marketable who pays what uh who's pays on time even and I definitely did find myself at a point where I was like, oh, I'm going to work with like Universal, Sony, uh, these different labels on these projects and it's going to be really great. But then it could be so monotonous because of the confines of that, that there would be times where I'd be like, man, I just want to go to like a small venue, see some no, a band with shitty social media numbers mm -hmm. and just take pictures of them. But I have to consider like where my time's going to go. Right. And I similarly found myself at a point where I definitely had to shift that around where Obviously, I have to, like, eat and pay bills, but I do still need that thrill of, like, enjoying music and photographing music that has no connection to my professional life. Right. It's, like, it's that balance of, like, how do I get the, like, creative fulfillment that I want, but also support myself while doing this? Yeah. Yeah, it's that, I mean, I, I think there's so many of us in, like, just similar fields that are, like, always struggling to, like, find that balance, and it's really hard. It is. It's an important thing to discuss and to question within oneself because I think it is possible to be so... I've been thinking about this a lot lately, how looking back on my career, air quotes career, <laughs> um, where I've definitely been so uh, one-track-minded in 
progression of like, okay, I've shot at this venue, but not this one. I worked with this band, but not this one. I've worked with this one, but not this one. And then going to the next step, the next step, and then feeling very proud of myself and why I work so hard. But there is definitely a danger to being so one-track-minded, even in terms of ambition, because you do find yourself, like, I've definitely been guilty. I'm sure you can relate to this. I've definitely been guilty of missing friends' birthdays or, like, uh, different random nights out with friends or different, like, uh, day excursions and thinking, like, oh, of course it's going to benefit my career, so it's okay. And then looking back on, like, oh, I kind of wish I would have went to that random friend's birthday party. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny you say this because uh, the latest video I released is, like, partly about this specific thing. Uh, I mean, because I, I, I made this video, like, like largely about, like, how I have after like eight months of just like working seven days a week like relentlessly without a break i have like just burned myself out and um and i'm finally like i i've become forced to take a break because it's like i can't like keep working at the pace that i have been and um and part of this is like i have had to cancel and like like bail on so many like social events because it's like oh no because this project is like it's behind schedule and i just have to like keep working like uh through the night or this i thought it was going to be done two days ago and it's still not done and oops gotta cancel these plans and um because and again the thing about like freelancing like this like you know uh with your photography that's freelance work uh, yeah i imagine yeah and uh and like with youtube as much as like sure i i have like I, it's independent and I can control it, it still basically is freelancing. I still have to, like, get these projects done, and I have to make my own schedule and, you know, like, uh, like, like work whenever is necessary to, to get them done. And, uh, and yeah, and, and because of that, it, it does sort of, like, it's hard to know when you've, like, you're always chasing the, the, this weird goal or this idea of, like, I will, I'm putting in the work now and, like, working so hard and continuously and, like, prioritizing this work over everything else to get to this vague theoretical point where like then it'll all be okay and then I can like take the time to you know have a life again and uh but you never know when the point is and so that's sort of the struggle of it uh because and, and that's how I mean that's how you just do what I have done where it's like oh no you just kill yourself working all year until you just burn out and are like, oh, I should have taken a break at some point and, like, had a life because uh, eventually working this much is bad for you. Yeah, and, like, it might sound silly uh, describing it in this way, but I think it kind of symbolizes... It kind of makes it within a congruent image, but it's kind of like moving the goalposts within yourself. Like, that aspect of, like, I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to be able to, like, you know, have a life and relax normally it keeps moving and it's like taking a goalpost and moving like, Oh, but not now, not now. Right. It's, I mean, it's like, you know, if you're visualizing this, you can see like this distant mirage of a goalpost in the distance and you're always running toward it, but it's always like the same distance away. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that is very true. Well, I'm glad we could relate on that. And hopefully I'm keen to watch a most recent video of yours then. Cause, um, I think the, what's it called? The screenshot that I saw for it. Was it Kiki's? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm, I'm talking about, like, sort of like, uh, you know, uh, YouTube burnout specifically, because that's, like, a, its own thing within the career of, like, YouTuber. But uh, but really just the sort of, like, creative freelance burnout. But I'm, it's discussed through the context 
of the Miyazaki film Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, which I think is a great representation of, uh, of this feeling, and also just one of my favorite movies. Yeah, that's a very uh, beautiful film. Miyazaki in general. Like... Yeah, uh, hot take, Miyazaki, good filmmaker. Is that uh, hot take? No, it's not. I was say, <laughs> he is one of you the. You had me for a second. I was like, "That's a hot take." No, uh, he's a filmmaker <laughs> who 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 basically doesn't have a bad movie in his filmography. Who has just made like yeah. perfect masterpieces for like forty years. Yeah. I remember the first time I watched Howl's Moving Castle. I was like, I want to say like six years ago, and I remember like, it's one of those films that I remember watching, and I was so enthralled with just what was going on. That narratively speaking, I found myself thinking, like, I actually don't know what the plot of this movie is, but I fucking love this. Yeah. I, uh, like, one of the maybe two or three best just movie-watching experiences of my life was when I was, I think maybe 14 or 15, and I went to see Spirited Away in theaters, and I didn't know anything about it. Oh, I'd seen Prince Mononoke, which I adored. I knew it was the new movie by the guy who made that. And that it was apparently the highest grossing film in Japanese history. And that it was apparently good. I didn't know what the story was. I had not seen a trailer. And I've never lost myself in a movie like that. Like, I didn't know how far into the movie I was. The outside world, like, drifted away. Uh, It was just... It was the most transporting experience I've ever had. That's It is... But it's a great movie. It's a really great movie. Yeah. And about my favorite Miyazaki movie is Kiki's Delivery Service. So I'm glad that this kind of just converged where it's like, oh, you know, I was thinking, like, how can I do a video about, like, like dealing with, like, what I've been going through? But at the same time, it's like, I, I still want it to be about movies in some way. And then I realized, like, oh, wait, this is the perfect, you know, opportunity to talk about this movie that I love, but I've never really you know, knowing, like, how to do a video about it. So, I, I'm, I'm happy with how the video turned out. That's good to know. Uh, one of the videos of yours I also wanted to bring up that I'm a big fan, uh, fa- it's a big favorite of mine, is the way you broke down The Last Jedi and why it's great. Um, what really stood out to me is how you're able to identify the hallmarks of the franchise, the franchise itself. And I bring that up because I think a lot of people who find that film to be contentious and approach it in a negative spectrum, they purely identify with these are the reasons why I don't like it because I have these feelings and thoughts about what the franchise is and I think what's really cool about how you broke down the film is touching upon how even though these are very visible and they're obviously um, things that people what's the right word that people could feel um, you know a trueness towards that you also found and you know I don't want to just speak for you you can jump at any point but you also found that a franchise doesn't need to have hallmarks that can purely hold it back where yeah you can identify and you can like you know really um relate to what a franchise has done you know previously but it doesn't mean it has to hold it back and that was something that i really loved hearing vocalized because for me i think i'm definitely if people are listening now and they're like the anti last jedi people i think they're gonna hate me more than they're gonna hate me, not hate you. Cause uh, they do hate me. Well, they're gonna hate I, me. I have gotten <laughs> uh, w- the two videos I have gotten the most shit for, and still get shit for <laughs> on an almost daily basis are the plot holes one and the last Jedi one. <laughs> Honestly, the most controversial thing I've ever said publicly is I liked a Star Wars movie. <laughs> there are no joke. On YouTube, there's more than 10 hours worth of videos, like multiple videos added up, just about people talking about why I'm wrong 
about saying <laughs> The Last Jedi is good. That's fucking insane. It is super insane. Like, what? What? What is so, like, I, I can't imagine, like, hearing some, okay, so for instance, I didn't like the film Vice, the, the, the Adam McKay Dick Cheney movie, but the idea of, like, seeing someone made a video that, that praised it, and being like, oh shit, I've, I've got to take them down, like, how dare they, I, I, the world needs to know why they're wrong for liking that movie, that's so bizarre, that is, like, that I I I I don't even know how to articulate what a a, a truly strange and unhealthy uh, like like just mentality that is, and uh, and yes no um it's fine if people don't like Star Wars Episode Eight The Last Jedi I think it's a very good movie yeah. um and it's just really weird to me that people are angry that I liked it. Yeah, I agree with that. And the the part the thing I wanted to add uh, in regards to something I'll say that'll make people hate me more than you. Great, is, please. I'll help you. Is yeah, that, you 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 take the brunt of, ta- of the <laughs> hatred. <laughs> well, I'll take the brunt. So leading up to and you know minor spoilers here, very minor spoilers. Uh, for Star Wars. For Star Wars. Yeah. For the biggest film of twenty seventeen. Exactly. Yes. So the Force Awakens ends with uh, the cliffhanger. Of uh, Luke and Ray being on that cliff, and then Ray handing a lightsaber and Luke taking it, and then the film cutting off from there. And oh, the la- he does not take it. Oh, does he not? Take oh wait. It? Oh, he. Oh, he, does, oh, he, he no, holds it. No, no, no. He does. He does. He you're, you're, you're right. What am I talking about? I yes, so, yeah, you, you were right. Yeah, he Ignore me. It. And then the cutoff point is there, and then the Last Jedi starts with what happens next. And I remember. Well, does it start immediately from there? But it does go into like what happens next at that point. I remember throughout that year period where we had to wait to see what happened next, uh, telling my friends, because I hate film theories. I do. I love film. Oh, oh, oh like I, fan theories? Fan, I hate them. Yeah, same, I strongly same. Hate I theories. do not like them. So I spent a whole year going to my friends who were making theories, going to like, at this fucking point, and I have to say, I'm one of those, like, I grew up on Star Wars ever since I was seven years old. My favorite movie of all time is Empire Strikes Back. I'm a big Star Wars fan. I spent a same. Whole, yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah. Star Wars is good. I spent a whole year hearing these fan theories, and I was like, "For the love of Christ, I really just wish up until this point that Luke just takes that fucking lightsaber and throws it over his back." <laughs> I really fucking wish he does that. Yes. I spent a whole year going like, "I really hate these stupid fucking theories." I so can verify this. <laughs> yes. yes. So when the movie comes out, and I'm sitting in the theater. And it happens. I had a big moment. I was like, oh shit, they did that. <gasps> did you just Whoa. cheer in the theater like, yeah! And then I started laughing hysterically. And from that moment on, I knew the movie was going to be polarizing because I was the only person laughing. The temperature oh. of the theater was like, what the fuck just happened? Whoa, because my I, I saw it with a, you know, like sold out Times Square theater. And that is why I was so shocked the following day when I discovered not everyone loved it because my audience like cracked up at yeah. that. They were cheering and laughing and so into the movie through the whole thing. There was applause at the end and I was like, oh my God, this was like, I was ecstatic. I was like, this was the Star Wars movie I didn't even, I didn't know I wanted. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, I think I, I saw it with my sister and she was like, yeah, someone, like a coworker mentioned like that some people are angry at the movie. We thought on Friday it opened on Thursday. Yeah. And I was like, what? What? Like, how? How? It's, it's so great. Uh, and then I, you know, discovered the, uh, the internet uh, like, <laughs> the, the following day. But yeah, but that, that's funny because like, you know, 
my audience was like totally into that moment, but See, you were alone in yours. Yeah, I think it was something where if I, I can't remember if I saw it either on midnight or like the following day, like early morning. I think it was like the following day, early morning on like a Saturday or something. But I remember like it was the type of thing where my theater was full, somehow full of big hardcore Star Wars fans. I think I saw it at the Regal on Union Square. So uh, it's funny, it's like still like a commercial theater, but there is a reason why I'm bringing all this up though, and it's within the context of you being a filmmaker. So when I experienced that moment and then the film that followed, I found so much enjoyment, not just from a filmmaking perspective, but from this very outward, uh, constant barrage of symbols of like, hey, yes, we have these hallmarks and conventions of what makes this franchise, but that's not the only thing that makes this franchise, where it's very much like, yes, we recognize these things, but the film is more to that. That's what I garner from the film. What I want to ask you as a filmmaker, do you feel like a franchise... I feel I already know the answer, but I kind of want you to delve deeper into it. Okay. Do you feel like a franchise ever has to hit certain conventions to stay true to itself? Within the context of Star Wars, one of the big pushbacks The Last Jedi gets is that it doesn't feel like a Star Wars movie. And you also made a video about, you know, dissecting that. What does that mean to you in regards to, like, franchise films? Do they have to hit certain points? Um... I think sort of. I And this is part of what's funny to me about reactions to The Last Jedi, because I feel like it still has, it still hits, like, pretty much all the stuff you go into a Star Wars movie expecting. It's like, you know, uh, it opens with a big space battle. You've got two cool lightsaber battles. Yoda shows up. It's like, uh, it's got all the stuff <laughs> that you want. <laughs> it's all there. Um, and then, uh, but, uh, and I, I made this this video that I, I, I really stand by. Uh, I think I made it in like February 2018. This was after a couple months of, of, of me seeing this like crazy reaction to The Last Jedi. Uh, it's a video called What Do We Want from a Star Wars Movie? Yes. That really, where I, I tried to figure out like, okay, how did we get two people reacting this way. And the more I dug into it and, like, explored the, you know, tr tried to, like, really understand the things that had made people so angry, why people had gotten so worked up about this movie, uh, with this franchise in particular, I really do think, and it's funny you mentioned, like, the fan theories, uh, you know, that were driving you nuts going into that one. Um, this series in particular seems to be something where a lot of viewers, and it's funny, I, I, I have said publicly that, like, I'm not going to talk about Star Wars anymore. Uh, like, I, I don't talk about it on social media, really. I don't make videos about it anymore. It's just, it became unhealthy because all, all it did was, like, make my life, like, worse. Whoops. Um, but, uh, so, oops, but I'm talking about Star Wars a bit. But, uh, but I'm really just restating a thing I said in a video. But uh, it seemed like with Star Wars movies... Uh, a lot of fans had this really dogmatic interpretation of what Star Wars was and where it was like, if it isn't something specifically that we saw in a previous film, you can't add anything new to it. Uh, and so little things where like, like, oh no, it's like, how, how, can, how can Leia have the Force? We never saw her, her learn, and so therefore she can't. And it's like, well, you know... 30 years passed in between movies, and a lot of stuff could have happened, and Ultra Street's like a Skywalker, so it's really like, you know, uh, it, it, it all totally makes sense, but people get angry because it's like, we, we, haven't, we haven't seen that before, so it's like, no. They like reject it outright. 
But then also, I feel like they go into it uh, with all the fan theaters and stuff like that, basically with like a checklist of like the things that they want. It's like this has to like adhere to like to what I specifically like know about these movies and what I want it to deliver on. And if it deviates in any way, uh, they tend to reject that. And um, and so which is and for me, I what I found about the last Jedi that was really fulfilling um, is that it it gave me everything I wanted from a Star Wars movie. It gave me like, okay, perfect example: the opening space battle, yeah, which I adore. Um, it gave me a big, exciting space battle with like X wings blowing stuff up and stuff like that. It's great. It's fun. But then it did things that I've never that a Star Wars movie has never done before. It then it made like uh, the other random like rebel pilots who aren't our protagonists. It made them into real characters who who like you know experienced emotions and who like we actually cared about. And like that part when you've got Paige Tico, you know, trying to detonate, trying to like drop these bombs. And the way it, you know, it, like, it becomes her story for, like, a few minutes there. And, it, like, it slows down, and you get her perspective on this and see her desperate struggle, you know, to, like, to, to like, to, like, complete this mission. And she's just, like, I, I think, I don't even know if we hear her name, but she's just one of, the, like, the many random people that, like, get blown up and that we never really care about. But suddenly, they're, like, a human being. And I was so taken aback by... By just that happening in a Star Wars movie, I'm like, oh my god, this is like, it's giving this perspective on this that we've never seen before, and I think that's so exciting. It's like, it's giving us what we've seen, like, what, what we want in the space battle, but then it's adding this element that's brand new and really exciting, and I love that. And then you have the people who watch that scene and are just like, why would they drop the bombs that way? Why did they design the ships that way? That's stupid. That's impractical. Why didn't they use the Y-Wings? Because the Y-Wings can drop bombs and the Y-Wings exist. And it's a plot hole that they didn't use them for this. And I'm like, you guys just fucking watch a different movie than I did. <laughs> uh, because this is like, like, how? why are those your priorities? Yeah. So, and then I was excited about the movie because I felt like it... It really it opened up uh, just like the the whole universe of Star Wars and expanded it in a way where it's not it's not just going to hit the same beats we've seen before. It can go anywhere. It can be about characters who aren't just descended from the same small collection of families. And um, I found that really moving. I like the movie a lot. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, but but to get back to your question, uh, this is I think this is what's funny to me about the reaction to that movie because I feel like I do think it is important with like any long running franchise to at least like check certain boxes to give um I, I think uh, uh, this might sound insane but for me The Last Jedi is kind of like the ideal version of like an installment in a long running franchise it gives you the things that you hope for and that you want to see that you expect from any installment but then it expands it. It goes in new directions. Uh, it surprises you. And it, it doesn't just repeat the same stuff that you've seen before. And that, to me, was why I watched the movie. I was like, this is, 
the most exciting installment in this series in like 40 years. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, I feel bad for the people who didn't react that way. Something that I like to add, and we'll then like jump off Star Wars, because I imagine it's always helpful to jump off Star Wars. Yeah. But, yeah, but just one thing I'd like to add in regards to people who, you know, just outright dismiss it and hate it. With exactly that last bit you said there that you quantify within why you like The Last Jedi and how it gives you the things you like for you, and it, but it expands it. I really do feel like you could attribute that not to just all of them, including like the prequels, but also the originals that people hold in high regard. Very, like, I want people listening to consider this. If you were to like think about the things that are introduced within The Return of the Jedi, like, you know, the Sarlacc Pit, uh, Endor, uh, Force Lightning. Force Lightning. Lando's random friend who we've never mm-hmm. seen before on the Millennium Falcon. And you were to consider like what you saw previously at Empire Strikes Back. You wouldn't... You weren't prepped for any of those things in Jedi. That's, Star I mean, Wars has always done this to some degree. That's the insane thing. It's like, you know, when people complain like, Oh no, we didn't find out where Snoke came from. It's like, you didn't find out where the Emperor came from. You didn't even know his name was, like, Palpatine for a while. A lot of the, a lot of the, like, the stuff that you did, that you do know about him, that was added in, like, supplementary books. It's not even in the movies. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I, the, the, the thing about, honestly, with a lot of the discussion about Star Wars is, uh, I've accepted, this is, I think, why I, I sort of said I would stop talking about it uh, on, like, social media or on videos. Um, a lot of people just have such a different perspective on on it, on the Star Wars as, like, a thing than I do, um, that we're never going to see eye to eye. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I see people try to argue with them on Twitter, and I, I realized a long time ago that it's, it's hopeless. Yeah. Uh, and so I just don't have these conversations anymore. Honestly, when, like, when I, I'm like, I'm at a party and, uh, I'll usually actually change the subject if Star Wars comes up, because I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to, like, have this be an, an argument. But if someone is like, oh my god, like, The Last Jedi is, like, the worst movie in the series, like, I fucking hate it. Uh, I just, I don't even argue, because I'm like, first of all, I will what is, kind of, a little point I just want to make here. If a person hates The Last Jedi, like clockwork, they're the the one recent Star Wars movie they love is Rogue One. Every time, it's uh and the reason and and uh and the reasons that they love that movie is exactly like it it says everything of, <laughs> about their whole perspective. It, it always it's always the same thing. And their favorite part in Rogue One is always the part where Darth Vader uh, Darth Vader like cuts off everyone's heads at the end. So funny bit. This is interesting. I love Rogue One, but. That Darth Vader thing's like the one singer thing in that movie I hate. Because the frustrating thing, the thing I love about Rogue One, also the frustrating thing is that when they announced it and then they released it and stuff, it's definitely not a perfect movie, but... I mean, um, I, 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 I like the film. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've always been the type of Star Wars fan where I was like, okay, I, I enjoy this franchise for what it is, and I read all the books and the comics as a kid, which also is funny for me, being so much on the other side of people who hate The Last Jedi, but in regards to Rogue One... I always found myself thinking, okay, if they're ever to expand into other Star Wars stories, it's going to start off in a thing that's going to kind of placate fans. So it's like, okay, we have to go to Death Star again? Fine. We have to have all these Stormtroopers again? Fucking fine. We have to have all these, like, just similar stuff we've seen before, but within a different context. Okay, as long as we can not have Jedi and stuff, that'd be great. 
and I remember being in the theater watching Rogue One and going like, okay, this is like a great balance of everything. It's like, it's giving fans who want those very Star Wars things, you know, what they want, while also expanding. This is great. And I fucking Darth Vader to show up. I was like, you motherfuckers. Yep. In a scene that's like kind of fun, but also <laughs> has no bearing on the story, ha- involves none of the main characters, <laughs> is only there to give you... It is a thing that everyone recognizes looking cool. Yeah. That's just it. It is, it, like, it. it's just this indulgent thing. It's like the way I put it in, in a video was it's like the equivalent of, like, an HD remake of a PlayStation 1 game. <laughs> it's like, oh, look, it's the thing that you loved before, just like it was before, but now with, like, better graphics and, uh, and looking cooler and more badass. It's just that. It doesn't add anything. It doesn't mean anything. It's it's it, it's just empty indulgence. Um, but yeah, but yeah. Um, but the thing is, like, look for for the people who feel differently about Star Wars than I do. Um, it's a bummer. Uh, we're never gonna see eye to eye. I know those people who hate the Last Jedi. They all love Rogue One. They all love that Darth Vader scene, and that's fine. Uh, and and I, I hope they're happy with future movies. But I'm I'd rather not talk about it with them. I'm gonna go to a different point, but before I do, just to hit on like your last bit about endless indulgence, a pointless indulgence. I recently uh, went to my parents' place and got back the Xbox 360. You can see it over there, lovely, just sat there. And um, I've been going to like GameStop and rebuying old games I used to have pre-owned, and they're like five bucks. It's amazing. Yeah. I got the remastered version of the first Halo game, and the enjoyment I'm getting out of it is literally what you're describing, where. <laughs> Because, I mean, yes, Halo has a story, but I put it on just because I want to play and tune the stuff out. Mm-hmm. I'll, like, turn the volume down and listen to podcasts and just not pay attention to anything going on. And it's just like, oh, a flashy thing I used to play before, and I'm just... It's like comfort food. Yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly basically it. basically Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people, they, they'll, they'll never say it, but they <laughs> want comfort food from Star Wars. Yeah. And other films as well, I would say. I think there's other... I mean, Star Wars is very specific, but I think what's weird... Like, what's really interesting I could me, go on a re... I'm not going to do it, but I could go on a long tangent about that's part of why MCU movies are so successful, because they do offer that comforting indulgence. And I, and I, I like those movies. Yeah. But I, I think they do that, uh, and that's part of why people like them so much. I would agree with that, and I very much... I find myself a fan of those films... But I very much agree with that, even from a pure logistical standpoint of, you know, people listening who might be pulling their hair out. I just want your, like, people who are feeling that way and listening, I just want you, you to consider this. If you're a studio and you find yourself being able to turn out films year after year within production schedules that span between, like, six to eight months, there's something to that being formulaic. Not even in a positive or a negative way, just on a pure logistical basic of fact. If you're able to make films within that type of time frame, there is some kind of baseline workflow you're adhering to. Well, I mean, every other movie studio does make lots of movies, and the movies aren't, you know, they don't have that sort of formulaic homogenous nature to them, but they also don't have to all, like, intersect and overlap and have the same producer the way Marvel movies yeah, do. Yeah, I guess that would be the added context there. Right? Yeah, it's, um... But, yeah, but, but I mean, but... I think in terms of the like, you know, the the, the comforting and indulgence of them, I think that's mostly like a story thing uh, with them. But that that's a whole other yeah, conversation. Other There's something else I'd rather ask you about. Um, 
another video that really stood out to me that you did was uh, learning to appreciate uh, Joel Schumacher's Batman. Yeah. Um, it's really funny to me how in 2019, it's a weirdly brave thing to do to highlight a time in film that people would rather forget and to, you know, push back on that. Walk me through what it was like, not just to make this video, but particularly like the research and the writing that went into it. Yeah, that was a fun one. Um, basically, you know, as a kid, I liked the Joel Schumacher Batman movies because they were Batman movies and, uh, you know, it, it, whatever. It was, it was, it was great. Like, uh, I didn't, I didn't have like what I, I didn't demand like a serious gritty Batman movie. I was just like, hey, Batman's there. Uh, cool. And, and also like, so the whole reason that I ended up like this is that when I was like maybe four or five years old, uh, my parents showed me the 1966 Batman movie, the one with Adam West. Uh, and when you're a kid, especially when you're like four years old, um, it's the greatest thing in the world. It's so cool. Um, and they, sh and they introduced me to that. So I became obsessed with Batman and it just happened to be 1992, the same year that Batman Returns comes out and Batman the Animated Series premieres on TV. Uh, and there's a comic book store in my town where I could go and buy Batman comics. And so there were a million different versions of Batman, like all coming at the same time. And I consumed all of them. Um, and then, you know, cut to a few years later then like Batman Forever comes out I'm in second grade and it's like that's probably the VHS I watched the most as a child uh, and so I didn't have like a specific version like like take on Batman that I demanded I just wanted Batman yeah. um, and then as time went on you know I got into like middle school and I learned like oh we're, okay we're we're supposed to hate the Schumacher Batman movies now because they're campy and like homoerotic and stuff like that and like they're not serious and that was just it for a long time. I was like, oh, right, they're bad. The, they're not what we wanted. And then, and as time went on, I, I didn't really revisit them. Every so often I'd like watch a clip from Batman Forever on YouTube, and I'd be like, man, I still enjoy Jim Carrey's performance. And, uh, and I, I, of course, like some context, I'm like an obsessive comic book fan. I have thousands of comics. I go to the comic store every week to buy new, uh, new issues. Um, and so I didn't, I hadn't watched the movies in like 15 years, but I just... I had been kind of thinking, like, are the Schumacher Batman movies really that bad? Or, uh, or have we all just, like, accepted, like, them? it is, like, as a fact. Like, you know, like, this empirical fact, like, yes, they are, they're the worst of all time. And then, because it was the 20th anniversary, or 30th anniversary of the 89 Batman movie, they did these re-release screenings of the four, like, 80s, 90s movies. And a friend and I kind of dared each other to go to the Batman and Robin screening. Yeah. Uh, it was like, like, oh, I'll go if you go. And, uh, and so we went. I was so curious. I also braced myself like, oh, God, is this going to be like an, an agonizing two hours? And I watched it there, and, and I was like, this, I, I had fun. Like, uh, I, I still don't think it's really a good movie, but a lot of the stuff that people talk about as being awful is actually stuff that works and is like genuinely fun it's like again when people and, and recently i have like listen i've heard this like come up on other podcasts recently that i was listening to people talking about how awful that movie is being like oh yeah there's so oh, there's so many jokes and like like the puns and stuff and i'm like it's not like they were trying to make a serious movie and then failed and it, and like accidentally made a bunch of like goofy jokes like that was the point of the movie and uh, and there's stuff in there that I th that I think really does work and is fun and I realize like oh no, oh my I like while sitting in the theater watching Batman and Robin I realize like oh I'm gonna do a video on this I'm going to I want to reevaluate the Schumacher movies because I think they are 
not nearly as bad as their reputation and uh, and deserve to be like reconsidered. And um, and then what was perfect in the research process, it was this excuse to finally read this book that I've been hearing about for years. Uh, this by Glenn Weldon, uh, The Caped Crusade, Batman and the Rise of Nerd Culture, which kind of charts the entire history of Batman from like 1939 through modern times and how the various iterations of the comics and movies and TV shows connect to like just like the growth and evolution of like nerd culture within the U.S. And, uh, and there's a lot of great stuff in that. It's a really, really good book, but there's a lot of good stuff in there about, like, the Schumacher movies uh, in particular. And so, uh, so yeah, so it was... And uh, again, I, I, like, I don't mean for, like, my thing to just be, like, the guy who defends universally maligned things. <laughs> um, but often these universally maligned things are, especially when they're part of franchises with, like, this long history and this whole interesting context that spans decades uh usually there's a lot more there than just being like oh no that movie sucks let's forget about it forever and uh and i realized like the schumacher batman movies are you know they they are like worth talking about and reevaluating and especially like there's so many shittier superhero movies uh, uh like it made in the 2000s especially like you know <laughs> Daredevil. Like, Daredevil, I mean, the, the, the two Fantastic Four movies, or actually the three Fantastic Four movies, all worse oh, yeah. than the Schumacher Batman movies. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, so yeah, it was just like, <laughs> and, uh, and again, what's funny about them is they kind of are the thing that I always say that I want from superhero movies, which is like a filmmaker doing their singular take on the character and like putting their stamp on it. And it's like, those movies are that's that's Joel Schumacher doing his own thing. He's not trying to conform to a uh, you know like a pre-existing template or style that was given to him. He's like, I'm going to take Batman and do my version of Batman, and I'm like, that's what we always uh, this that's what I say I want from all of these movies, and so yeah, that's that that anyway. I, I've talked forever now. That was what that was no. the thought going into that video. No, that's okay. And um, in regards to just that last point there, because you're really good at that, by the way, making really good last points endpoints to uh statements and like sentences <laughs> thank but, you but in regard to that i think what's interesting is so many people look at the christopher nolan trilogy as being the antithesis of joel schumacher films but what i think it's really um interesting and i've always felt this way with an over like an overarching sense is that what you just described there about it being his take is exactly how christopher nolan would describe even his own films and i bring it up because so many people would look at that trilogy as such a definitive aspect of what Batman is should be and this is everything it should be but if you ever hear Chris Riddle talk about it it's like no this is my take and Batman's an ever-evolving character yep fixture of you know modern life exactly that's it it's just yeah and but I mean the, the Nolan movies are better than the Schumacher movies but they are like to this exact same extent they are just a different filmmaker's take on the same material and again these are all drawing from comic books that have spanned like 80 years that exist in ev like there, there are comic books that look just like every version of these you have the wacky 50s comics you know where batman's in like a rainbow costume and like you know popping in the bat spaceship to like go into outer space and fight aliens and uh like like you have these in insane like pop art comics that bear much greater resemblance to like the schumacher movies you have you know, your gritty 80s and 90s Batman comics that are closer to, like, the Nolan movies. It's like, Batman, more than any other superhero, has existed in, like, 
so many different forms and different versions and different takes, and they're all equally valid. Which was sort of like my main point in that video. It's like the Schumacher version, it's like, you can hate it, but it's like, it's no less valid than the Nolan version. Yeah, I think you've done that really well. And um, it's just gonna sound like I'm agreeing with everything you're saying, but in regards to the Schumacher films particularly, I found myself largely agreeing in like how you felt about them, especially in the sense that I had a very similar type of um, upbringing where Batman Forever wasn't like the first VHS I had, but it was one of the earlier ones. And I remember being a kid that was so in love with Batman from the comics and the cartoons, just having a physical form of Batman to watch, I was just so excited and engaged from that. And it's actually hilarious how you brought up when you got to middle school, that's when you learned that there was like, you know, this opposite spin and take on just like, this is how we feel about the films. For me, it actually wasn't until I hit college. Oh. Which is hilarious. So I did uh, middle school and high school in Rockland County, suburbia here in New York. And um, I did college here in the city. And I feel like something that tends to happen with uh, that type of uh, migration from like suburban life to city life is that there tends to be like, for as diverse as cities are, there tends to be like a more uh, idea of sophisticated thinking or approach to thinking of things. Right. That I remember when I was in college, I remember bringing it up to someone about like, oh, Batman for Batman and Robin or Batman Forever. Like, oh yeah, it's like a little fun. And someone's like, you think that's fun? And me just like, oh, I guess I don't. <laughs> How dare you? I was like, whoa. I rethink that, but yeah, that's just a funny thing. Um, I have a couple more questions for you. Thanks so much for being so generous with your time. Yeah, it's of been course. really fun talking to you. Um, you know, a constant fixture of your videos that I find really enjoyable and it's such a great personal aspect is the inclusion of your parents. Well, then you should watch the new video because they make an appearance. Oh, Spoilers hey. for a YouTube video. <laughs> Can you talk to me about how that started? Like how your parents got involved and what it means for you to have them part of your art? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, that, I have a very simple answer for that. So I, uh, I think my parents are delightful. I get along with them really well. They're really fun. Uh, and you know, they, they've always been very supportive of my weird career. That, uh, considering that, like, I was, like, you know, killing myself, like, making these videos and movies and stuff like that for years before it became remotely profitable. Uh, but they were always, they, yeah, they, they were never, like, go get a job in an office. Like, stop doing this. But, um, so they're great. And, um, in 2017, I had, the, so early when I decided to, like, try making, like, a video essay and, like, maybe some nonfiction videos where I would talk about movies, um... Uh, I was talking to my friend Jake, who, uh, Jake Torpy, who appears in a lot of my videos, who co-hosts my podcast, uh, Can't Get Enough of Keanu with me. Um, he, he just said, like, oh, you should do a video about your Fast and Furious rant. And uh, <laughs> what he was referring to is how my friends had noticed how pretty much any time we were at some party, if I were to, if I heard anyone mention that they hadn't seen the Fast and Furious movies, I would, like, launch into this monologue that became, like, very, like... <laughs> I got pretty good at it to the point where, like, it was, like, very consistent each time. I had, like, all my points to make and stuff like that, but about why the Fast and Furious movies are great and maybe the most important franchise uh, in, like, modern cinema and um, why everyone should watch them and they're wonderful. And so, um, and I was like, Jake, you're right. I, I have this whole speech. I should just turn it into a video. And so I wrote the video, and then like a day or two before I shot it, it was just going to be originally be me just talking to the camera about why the Fast and Furious movies are great. And I was like, what if I added this little like just context thing where it's like, instead of just talking to the camera, I've like come to visit my parents, and I'm like 
just drinking whiskey, wearing sunglasses indoors, and, like, telling this to them. I was like, that'd be fun. <laughs> so I, I, I asked them if they could make a little appearance in this video, and they were like, yeah, sure. And um, my, my dad was, also, was like, okay, like, it won't take too long, will it? And, like, can you, like, not put my name in, in it? And I was like, <laughs> sure. Um, so they were, they were, again, they were, they were agreeable and supportive. I wouldn't say they were excited to be in it. So we made the video. It was supposed to be a one-off video, yeah, just yeah. like just this, a standalone thing, and uh, people loved it, and people loved them, yeah. a- and there were immediately so many requests of like, this has to be a series. Please put your parents in more videos. They're great, and then my parents saw the comments, and they were like, oh my god, people like us. This is fun, and so they were instantly on board, mm-hmm. and then it be- uh, and so it became a series. Uh, with and as it went on, it developed this like ongoing narrative that uh, I mean, we've got some fun stuff coming up in there. But now it's become this funny collaboration between my parents and I, where they love doing it so much, and I've asked them to do more and more. Like, there's one installment where the storyline like it leaves the dining room and like they have to like go out. There's a, a barn next to my parents' house, and it's like. We shot this in, like, January, so I have to go out, like, in the snow at night and go into the barn and, like, shot, like, a horror movie. Um, so they're totally, like, game for all of this stuff. And and the the audience continues to, like, be so excited every time they show up. But, like, I'll visit my parents and they'll, I'll say, like, so, Mom and Dad, this is what I'm thinking for, like, maybe the next few videos. This is where the story's going to go. And, uh, and they'll, like, you know, give me their take on it. My dad will usually, like, pitch me lines he wants to say. <laughs> So like the part, there's a, an episode where he he has like his own brand of hammer called, <laughs> called Hank's Hammers, and originally I wrote a slogan for the for it, and he was like, "No, I think the slogan should be it's good." And I was like, "Okay, Dad." And so and then so there's, there's a part so he so he he added that that slogan, or there's like a part where he was like. You know, he'll, he'll, yeah, so they'll, they'll, like, pitch me on ideas, or, like, but now it's great, we'll just, like, go and talk about it, and, like, like where this could go, and, um, and I love working with them, uh, it's always really fun, and so, and th- that's the thing, it's, like, every so often, like, like, I'll put my sister in a video, uh, and, uh, she, my sister's, like, like, my best friend, uh, she's also really great, and, um, but it's basically, it's like, I, I have a weird family who just, like, gets along really well, and we all like each other, and I think my family's like really, really funny, and so I'm just trying to, like, just communicate that in the videos, like, mm-hmm. just sort of represent what they're really like, and it's like, I like them, I think everyone else will like them, so yeah. I'll just put them in there, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's worked out really well. Yeah, it's amazing, and, like, what a crazy rare thing where... Uh, I mean, you mentioned, like, how well you get along with them, but I would even say it's crazily rare, more so crazy rare, to be in an instance where you have this creative output, you have this very um, artistically-led endeavor of yours, and you're able to have your family be part of that, which is, especially in the context of filmmaking, which could feel, even though it's very collaborative, it could feel very insular in both vision and, you know, post-production and even pre-production. But you found a way to have your family part of that. That's a really special thing. Yeah, I, I really think that's like much of that is because it. I have you know, again, like a just a very supportive family, and it's like like my parents watch all the videos, which amazes me. Like you know, they'll mention. I'll, I'll be like, like, mom, that video about the Matrix sequels was forty minutes long. Like you didn't have to watch. She'll be like, no, we like watching them, and. Uh, 
You know, and, and like, for instance, it's funny, the, uh, the most recent video, I, I shot part of it in my parents' house. I, like, went up to visit and, like, shot part of it there. And my mom was like, yeah, we, we watched the video twice because the house looked so good in it. We loved the way that you shot it. And uh, we were just, like, marveling at our own house. And, um, and I was like, I'm glad that made you happy. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so they, they actually, like, enjoy the work I do. And then they, you know... And for, for them, it was just like this, this fun little extra thing to do every few months, you know? I'll just be like, guys, I'm coming up to visit. Can I grab like you for 15 minutes to shoot this little scene? And, um, and yeah, they, they really enjoy it. It's great. It's a great way of how they're a part of it, too, where um, I feel like it's very helpful for you and how clearly self-aware you are on a multitude of levels where within the context of a video essay, I almost feel like when you started doing it, there was this idea of like, okay, yes, I have these takes and yes, I'm in, well informed, but I mean, people are going to sit here and watch me for like 20 plus minutes. Like, what's that going to be like? And for people who aren't familiar with your videos, I mean, you've described it a bit, but essentially your parents kind of act as the arbiters of the audience in a lot of ways. So it's kind of like, you know, jokingly, you kind of hold your parents hostage and just right. tell them about these films. Yeah. And do you think part of that, like, having them play that role was considering them as almost being, like, the audi- the actual audience? Oh, yeah, totally. Oh. And um, it, it just, you know, I didn't think of it, like, scientifically, but, but knowing that... Um, you know, like the, just that the premise of that video was, I am going to, this is, this is a, a movie series that not everyone takes seriously and a lot of people dismiss. Like they make a lot of money, but not everyone, but not everyone is on board with them. Yeah. And, um, and so the, yeah, so the, the idea for adding my parents came from like, okay, since this is kind of like what the perspective of a lot of the audience will be, like, what if we just lean into it and add people that I'm like actual people like in in the video that I am like ranting at and what if you make me look even more deranged so I'm just like <laughs> drinking heavily and like wearing sunglasses indoors and so we just lean into the fact that like you know my you know my weird opinion is like seems extra crazy and uh it just seemed like a like a fun way to just make the video more interesting and then what so that video is its own that I mean that that series is its own thing yeah. uh, with you know with its own self-contained narrative that continues through those but even in other videos it's like often the framing device will be like my friends will be hanging out and I'll barge in and be like guys I have to monologue to you about you know the like the uh, the evolution of the characterization of Ethan Hunt in the Mission Impossible <laughs> movies and I'll be like oh Patrick no and so that that uh, and I've probably, like, used it too many times, but just uh, putting the videos in this context of, like, me being this person, uh, just, like, explaining uh, stuff or, or, or just, like, going on a, on a long speech about, like, like stupid, minute film stuff to, to an unwilling audience <laughs> is, uh, I, I, I feel like it, it also, you know, sort of is a way to, like, prevent things from seeing too, like, either, like, pretentious or, or, or making it seem like, oh, I, I'm, like, you know, forcing people to accept my, like, you know, superior, like, factual, uh, you know, knowledge. If, it, if it's like, look, I'm aware this is kind of silly and it's weird that I've thought so much about this. <laughs> and, uh, but just, like, bear with me. So, yeah, that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I feel like that's always up the nose. And I should mention with that uh, Mission Impossible video you did, it was incredible just, like... Because I've seen all the films, and I enjoy them as well. And it was one of those things where I've definitely been guilty of falling in line of, like, with the most recent films, 
taking him so much as just the joy rise that there are and just going like obviously there's a story here but it's much more secondary and i saying the death you did in the context of like the first film onward it i remember having a moment sitting to myself like i don't want to spoil the video for anyone but you do have this realization that for this singular character of Ethan Hunt, uh, Hunt, Tom Cruise's character, to have lived the life he has, he, he has to be fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> he has to be a fucking... Like, exactly. You couldn't be a stable-minded individual and have experienced all these things. Right. That was the thing. It's actually, you know, I'm realizing I'm, I'm now, like, these the different videos we've discussed are converging because I did one of those videos with my parents with me talking about the Mission Impossible movies and about, like, why they're so great. And then it was while re-watching all of the movies as research... Then I had this realization that, like, oh my god, the, like, what is, how do you, how is Ethan Hunt the same character through all of these movies? How can you connect that? How can you, like, uh, reconcile, like, who he is in the second movie with, like, the third movie? And then I thought too much about it, and then I was like, I've got a whole extra video here, uh, just trying to, like, figure out who this character is. So I made a video called, Who is Ethan Hunt? Yeah. Uh, a few, um... I want to say it was like days ago might have been a week or so but you had this like ranking of your favorite Mission Impossible films or maybe it's pinned on your is it pinned? Uh, it's not It's not pinned but th th there was one of those like you know tweets going around yeah. like rank the Mission Impossible movies and I was like okay I'll do it yeah. and I don't really like uh, go into lists very much but in regards to this um, just from a personal standpoint uh, why is number three so low? Oh! In, are, are you one of the people who puts number three near the top? Yes, very much so. Interesting. No, it's it, It's funny. Uh, How dare you? How I, dare you, sir? <laughs> I like three. Yes. Um, okay, I can I can explain this very very simply. It's this. <laughs> no, Mission Impossible Three is funny because it is. It's weirdly the most divisive Mission Impossible movie. Is like, it? Yeah. Well, okay. Two, I thought two was. No, no. Two is is large is almost. The consensus on two is that it's the weakest one. Yeah. Most people agree on that. Three is one where you'll have people who uh, who'll put it at the top, and then you'll have people who put it at the bottom. Yes. So that's the thing. It's like there there's no other movie in the series that people have such like wildly split opinions on. Uh, for me, okay, I think three is the movie that kind of like. Uh, it almost like rebooted the franchise and set it on the path to like reach the greatness uh, it would get to. But okay, uh, here's my, my two things against three. Um, I think Ethan Hunt is much less compelling and believable as a normal guy. I don't think his... Um, I like Michelle Monaghan a lot. I don't think his... His marriage is especially interesting. Oh, it's not at all. Um, I don't think Ethan Hunt as a guy who lives in the suburbs and as, like, a normal person is especially interesting. I think Ethan Hunt, as a, a weirdo, crazy person who, uh, who, like, you know, who, who, who just sleeps alone in a safe house in Belfast, like he is at the beginning of Fallout, is a way more interesting version of the character. So I, so I think the sort of, like, domestic aspect of Ethan Hunt being, like, he's just a normal guy. Uh, look, he's romantic. Um, I don't really buy that. Uh, so I think that's less compelling. And also, I just don't think it has, uh, while I, I think Abrams has to, like, some, like, like, good, fun, kinetic direction. I like Dan Mendel's, like, hyper-saturated cinematography. Um, I don't, um, I think it's the most, uh, I guess, maybe, maybe the, the blandest in terms of style. I don't think it, it has the, uh, a, 
I don't think it has any of the best set pieces uh, in the whole series. I, I think it has fun ones. Uh, you know, I like the, I, I like the whole like sort of shootout on the bridge. I like I think the Vatican sequence is my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, it's great. But it doesn't have anything that I you know it, it doesn't have the like nuts like Mission Impossible sequence the way the first movie. You know, it has the Langley break. And the second movie has, like, the bonkers motorcycle shit at the end. Fourth movie, Burj Khalifa, obviously. Uh, you know, fifth, you got, you got the plane, you got the opera, you got, like, the motorcycle and car chase. Fallout, you got everything. And three is just a little bit more generic. Like, you don't have, like, uh, the, 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 it doesn't have those sequences that are, like, truly iconic. Yeah, I think from I think the big thing I find myself latching on with that film is the character aspect. I and a lot of people always bring this up the aspect how it, it's probably the one that feels the most like a team in contrast. Also, I think people, people say four also feels that way as well. Well, honestly, I think four, five, and six all do the team thing really well. I think, but again, three three is okay. This is kind of the J.J. Abrams thing. Yeah. It's the same thing with the Force Awakens. Is it? Not? He he kind of puts all the right elements there, gets everything together, hits the right tone, it's fun. It's not transcendent, but it's fun, yeah. and then sets the stage for, for other people to continue it and make better stuff. Yeah, and that's definitely true also with his TV career. I would say... I don't know, with, it, with the TV career, the thing is, like, with Alias, I think those first two seasons, which are all JJ, are the best, and then he leaves the show and it falls apart. Didn't he only do the first season of Lost? Or? He only did the first six episodes of Lost. Oh. He, but, I mean, sort of there, like, he made, like, a great pilot episode and yeah. assembled all the elements, but then, like, uh, Lindelof really, like, carried it from there. Yeah. I think a big thing for me is three as well, and I'll jump off this for sure, but uh, I'm, my big thing with uh, both TV and movies, like, as a peer, is I hate bad guys that don't commit. I hate I hate scenes where a bad guy's holding a gun and he doesn't shoot. Like I hate that more than anything in the world. Oh, so so three, you know, you I, got Philip Seymour Hoffman there. And oh he, and he, God, he's just he's he's not playing around. No, and he even says he's like, I'm not fucking with you. Yeah, I will. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> I will say, um, he's so good in the movie. I wish he was in it more. Yeah, and I wish he got a better ending. They just kind of have, like, a fight in a room, and then he gets hit by a car. <laughs> and you compare that to, like, you know, the climax of Fallout, where you've got, like, the helicopter chase, and then the battle with Henry Cavill on a cliff. And it's, it's incredible. And it's such a payoff. Yeah. And, like, considering how, much, how good Hoffman is when he's there... Um, I wish they, I, I, I just think they, uh, it just has, like, a weirdly bland finish for him. Yeah, I would definitely attribute, say that's quite true. Um, Again, I like three. Uh, yeah. I just like four of the other movies more. I can understand that. Uh, what do you say is your Fast and Furious ranking, at least in terms of the first, uh, top three? Fast and Furious. Top three? Yeah. Oh, it's, um, uh... Five, seven, six. Ah, five is my favorite as well. Yeah, five fast is, five. Oh, what a fast man. five, honestly, is both the one. I don't know if it's the most, but it's one of the most joyous and most hysterical experiences I've had in theater because it's so bonkers. I actually spent the majority of the movie laughing out loud. Yeah. But in pure amazement of what I was watching. 
Oh my god, it's, I mean, it's, uh, as, as, uh, I believe my friend Jamie described it, and I stole this line for a video, it is Axe Body Spray Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> it's, it's a truly wonderful film. Yeah. There was an exchange that me and Sarah had a couple, I think it was like two years ago, we had this exchange where I mentioned how much I loved the film, and she's like, what do you love so much about it? I was like, there's a scene where Vin Diesel and The Rock are fighting, and the camera is so close, you can't tell who's who. And Sarah's reaction was like, and you like that? And I was like, it's, yes! Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes. But, and then, and then the payoff, when they get attacked, oh. and then Vin Diesel reaches down to help The Rock up, and it's like, oh my god, they're gonna team up. Bros! <laughs> We're super bros now. Oh. <laughs> Before I let you run here, um... Oh, you, don't, you don't want to talk about the Fast and Furious movies for another hour? We, we definitely could. We honestly could. And this has been, like, such a... I mean, one of the big reasons I wanted to do this uh, podcast particularly is that I generally get so much joy from your um, videos. I'm so keen on more people finding out about them. But Thank it, you. It was also a bit of a selfishness thing for me where it's like, I just want an excuse to talk movies with you as well. So here's my question. Um, is this your longest episode ever? Mm-hmm. It just might be. This happens every time be. I'm on a podcast. I, I, I'm not <laughs> just... joking. Every time I guess on a podcast... Uh, the host is always like, oh, wow, we've gone, like, an hour over the, what we thought we would. This is our longest episode ever. I'm like, what is it about me that every time I show up, I, like, I talk too much, and, it, and, and, and we're, like, twice as long as it's supposed to be? But, no, Patrick, I promise you, I'm very astute at, like, cutting things off and, like, uh, moderating the time. This is purely out of selfishness for me. I just want okay. to talk to you more. Okay, <laughs> so it's just it's more of a you. It's more of a me than a you thing. I, well, well, it happens to me a lot. <laughs> I gotta say, I like I have noticed this already, and uh, that's why I asked because it seems to happen every time I'm on a podcast. Yeah, but you're engaging. It's like I promise you, people are still listening. Are you still listening? This is always meta when you can kind of like talk to listeners. Yeah. Well, I, I I mean, look, I, I I think we just dropped a like two and like. Almost two and a half hour episode. No, of we're my podcast. Ni- no, we're ninety minutes. Okay, great. Yeah, okay, oh, th- this is nothing compared to mine. Yeah, so we're, we're, we, we go way too long. Exactly, ninety minutes. So ninety-one technically. So the thing I want to ask you, lastly, is that you know, I'd imagine with a medium like YouTube, it'd be difficult to feel like you've established a voice. I find I, I found with my photography for quite a while that I would very much be such a fan of other people. I find myself thinking about like, wow, people have distinct styles. I really wish I had a style, and it took me a while to recognize, definitely years later, that like, oh, I do have a style. I can't probably define exactly what it is, but I do definitely have a style I like to approach things. And I'm using style and voice interchangeably here, but in regards to the work that you do, as a fan of your work, I feel like you have a very specific, distinct style, but I'm curious if you as a creator feel that about your own work. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I definitely think I do. I, I mean, I couldn't, like, break it down for you, like, here are the hallmarks of, like, a Patrick Willems thing. Um, but yeah, but, uh, at this point, I've been doing this for long enough that, like, I know how I like to shoot things, I know how I like to present things visually, I know the tone that I hit, I know, like, my editing rhythms, uh, for, like, how I like to cut things, and everything from, like, how I, how I, this is why I'm always hesitant to, like, have anyone else edit my stuff, because it's like, I know how I like to, like, have the music track drop out or come in, or how I like to, like, cut movie clips and stuff like that. So, yeah, so I, like, I, 
yeah, I can't really describe it to you, but I do think it, there's a very consistent way that my work looks and sounds and feels. I saw an interview with uh, Casey Nastet recently, and he brought up something interesting in regards to editing. I wonder if you'd uh, relate to this at all. I think you would, but he brought up that uh, he's very hesitant to let anyone edit his work, even like commercials that he'll do, because for him, he'll feel like well, as he's editing, he won't know the full scope of what the story is going to be until he actually edits. Yeah, uh, that's a little bit of it. I mean, well, well, he's doing different work than I am, generally. His stuff is less scripted. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but since my process is really messy, usually, like, I don't write a whole video and then shoot it all and then edit it all. I will, be sh I will shoot parts of it that I haven't even written, that I'm just like, I know... I'm gonna use these sequences in there somewhere, and then I'll I'll be like be watching it come together in like my Adobe Premiere file, and I'll be like writing sections like, you know, when like eighty percent of the video is like all like edited, and so uh, so yeah, th that that's really part of it. Like I have been editing my own work since like two thousand four, and uh. so I know how I work, and I know how I want it to feel, and I. Uh, and yeah, and uh, and that it, there is, um, there is a little bit of that, yeah, that discovery to it. Where, uh, I mean, that's an I I really want to have the experience of like turning over something to like a really skilled editor and being like, I want to see what you do with this. But especially working the way I do, where it's like, well, I've got to hit that release date, and uh, and I've got like that deadline. Um, uh, there's a motorcycle. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, but but like with that. Um, there just isn't time to give it to someone else. So, yeah. like, I, I, I know how I work, and I know how I want it to be. That's completely understandable. Tell me this, in regard, bouncing off that, what do you, uh, what's a creative quality that you feel that you share with the teenage Patrick Williams? Like, the Patrick Williams who were making those first round of videos that solely wanted to make movies. What do you feel like you share with him today? Um, honestly, the same... <laughs> Uh, a lot. I I, yes. I, I, I I don't think I have evolved much at all. Um, There's no way that could be true. Uh, I, I've gotten better, but I think my sensibilities and tastes uh, are still pretty similar. Um, honestly, the I, I still remember the the thrill of like having an idea for some like complicated shot and being like uh, gathering up my friends to be like we're gonna we're gonna make this thing we're gonna like we're gonna i know this shot's gonna work it's gonna be complicated but it's gonna work and then and then the payoff when you like you all gather around like uh the camera to like play it back and um, the thrill of being like it worked like like look like and especially if it's like you know when you're usually inspired by some some other style or some shot that you're like mimicking or referencing in some way and be like we did it we, we captured that little thing that same feeling and uh, like I, I, that's never gone away, of uh, of just of just being able to like having a very specific idea for for a shot, and um, and then usually requiring the help of your friends, and then the, yeah, and then the satisfaction of being like we we nailed it, we nailed that one little thing. That's so cool. Uh, honestly, truly, the last question. But before you go, I'd really be keen to hear. I would actually, truly, would genuinely love to know. Uh, what will you be doing next? Um, and not just in terms of like videos you'll be making, but uh, you know, even outside the realm of YouTube, like what are some things you're excited about that you're doing? 
That's a that's a big question to finish on. Um, <laughs> well, the thing. Okay, here's the thing about that. Of course, this is not as easy as as, as it might seem. Um, I have a lot of uh, ambitions to make things that are off of YouTube, but uh, the, the the thing is, YouTube is what pays my bills, and so is really a point of like getting the YouTube thing to a point where I can like use that to as to like kind of like leverage getting other things made and so right now I still just have to keep on the YouTube schedule uh, and there is fun stuff coming out. Been, I'm taking it easy for like the next month there's still videos coming out but like like what the next video is one that I shot back in July uh, and um, and then there's you know I'm gonna yeah uh, I'm taking a little bit of a break just to like recharge yeah. um but I, I, I'm not sure I really have a concrete answer because there's a lot of stuff that I would like to make um, if I can manage to either get funding for it or be able to just take a, like a small amount of time off of YouTube and just, and just focus my attention on this other thing. But, uh, but yeah, for right now, it's really just like continuing uh, with YouTube while having other projects ready to go when the opportunities arise. I think that's so important and I love that that's very much a, an aspect for you and how you're thinking about it because uh, something that I've seen uh, with other cre creators, especially people who do like um, videos, is I think people can find themselves thinking so singularly on what they're doing within the moment. They're not thinking about like the next few years or even the next few months. So that's really cool that you're doing that. Yeah, it, again, like, I I do genuinely, I love working on YouTube. I love the independence and the immediacy and the freedom of it. Um, at the same time, I, I hope, like, I don't know, four years from now that YouTube videos are not my full-time job. Um, uh, I always want to be able to return to it, um, but I... I I hope a few years from now that I'm I'm you know making stuff. Uh, I'm making different kinds of things, yeah. and uh, I'm not I'm, I don't want to keep doing exactly what I'm doing now forever. Yeah, and you know I think that's more than fair because if you think about just you know not to be a reductionist, but if you think about the core of what you do, being a creator, you want to create, and part of creating is doing it in different ways. Right, exactly, and you know I also get bored if I keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, which is why, like, I try to treat each video like its own unique project, and so it's like, you know, I, I really enjoy making YouTube videos, but there are other things I'd like to make as well. And, um, you know, fingers crossed those happen. Yeah, absolutely. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, this, I mean, I definitely know people who are listening are getting joy from it, and people who will be listening to it, you know, they're going to enjoy this, but this was honestly a selfish one for me, so thanks so much for taking the time. Hey, it, I, it was my pleasure. This was really fun. And, um, yeah, again, uh, Sorry I talked for so long. No, I do appreciate it. Like, honestly, like, I had so much fun talking to you, so please, honestly, the pleasure was on mine. Perfect. Well, yeah. thanks again, man. This yeah. is great. Awesome, thanks.